You're listening to the ERLC podcast. Are y'all not hearing me? I know we can hear you. I don't know if that's well, right or wrong. Well, it keeps cutting in and out. Cutting in and out. What'd you say? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I can't respond to you. I'm sorry. What did you say? And I'll respond. Right, we we got to wrap up. Okay, we will. What'd you say, uh, Brent? And I'll respond. <clears throat> Deep Impact. That is the one with Morgan Freeman as president. Yes, Morgan Freeman is president. And in 2012, <laughs> Danny Glover is president. <laughs> okay, let me continue on because this is not working. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we're talking about our work here at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and with me on the podcast today are my co-hosts, Lindsay Nicolay. Heidi Ho, neighbors. That was a good one. And Brent Leatherwood. Can't top that, can you? No, I, I can't talk. I, I mean, He's I'll just stuck. have to go with the... I know I am, but I was less speechless by that one. I'll just have to go with the tried and true hello, friends. Oh, man, I was looking for the howdy. Okay, well, it is good to be well, back. Well, she did the Heidi Ho, so she kind of stole my thunder. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's good to be back with you guys again, uh, doing another podcast. Uh, I got to warn people, uh, this has been already pretty chaotic in terms of just trying to get this far in. So... Um, we are excited to uh, talk to you guys today. It's been another week full of full of some heaviness, so we're going to try to you know cover that stuff, but we're also going to try to focus on some of the positive stuff and make you laugh. So, Lindsay, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, tell us what the ERLC has been talking about this week. Okay, guys. Well, um, work out your best dance moves because this first piece that we're talking about is about uh, TikTok. Are you all familiar with that app, Brent and Josh? You're you're doing your moves on TikTok, aren't you? No, it's actually a it's a Chinese communist propaganda uh, application. So I don't I don't actually use it. <laughs> okay, well, if you were using it, I was going to tell you you may need to consider stopping. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> tell us about because it because of some of the five things that we need to know about TikTok. So um, there are some privacy issues involved. As Brent said, it is a Chinese run company. And so there's a little bit of mystery behind TikTok. However, it's incredibly addicting. I have not signed up, but you can go on the site and it'll show you some of the people that are trending. Usually people are doing dances and things and it's incredibly trivial, I guess, but addicting too. And you just think people make a fool of themselves in this little TikTok app, but that's probably needed in this day and age too, with so much heaviness. But I would encourage you to read this piece by Conrad Close, who is on staff, and he started out as an intern, and Jason Thacker. Yeah, this was a really good piece, uh, and I'm glad that they released it because there really are severe uh, security concerns as far as it relates to this particular app. Though I will say the idea of people dancing and just doing fun things that are uh, mindless humor right now is something that we could really welcome. Maybe we could get you know just an American company to figure out how to enter this market space. Didn't, exactly. didn't the American company didn't the American company enter the space with Vine and then promptly exited the space? <laughs> Quickly tanked. I forgot about Vine. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what the story is with Vine. I do miss hearing the kids they do it for the Vine though. Right. Well, I think this just communicates that we are getting old because we don't even know what these apps are all about. But anyway. Not spending any more time on TikTok. Let's keep going. This actually, we're moving into something. Well, we're going from something more trivial and lighthearted to something more, uh, something heavier. But Casey Huff has a piece 
titled How to Have Hope in Hard Times. And hope is something that we need right now. And not just a generalized hope, not an ethereal hope, but a hope, a real hope in a real person that is um, grounded in truth. And not just my truth, your truth, their truth, but God's truth as found in his word. So Casey uh, encourages us from Hebrews 6, how to have hope and how to look to Christ for our hope. And so I would encourage our listeners to look there, especially as we're tempted to continually look at social media and at the news, various news outlets, whether we're reading that or watching that. Um, as one of our colleagues, Trillia Newbell said, if you keep looking to those things, you will shrivel up and die. We need to be looking to Christ first and foremost to ground our souls in the midst of hard times. Ever since we uh, asked Casey to write this piece, I have been anxiously awaiting uh, for him to write it because A, he's got such a great pastoral heart, but then B, are we just living in like the very definition of hard, confusing, complex, chaotic times? Like we're just in one of those seasons as a society. And I, I am, I'm just grateful that we have this piece that speaks to that moment. That's exactly right, Brent. Yeah. Casey is a great voice and uh, just loves the Lord. And so again, I'd encourage listeners to look there. Next up, we have a piece by Jeff and Sarah Walton. Actually, it was an interview, a question and answer with them. And I wanted to include this in here. It doesn't really have to do with COVID per se, but it does have to do with how marriages can thrive in the midst of suffering. And first off, I want to say this is not a piece that's meant to address those who are in abusive situations or marriages. This is a piece meant to address those who are just walking through the sufferings of life and how to thrive in marriage. So Jeff and Sarah in their short time being married have experienced so much heartache, Lyme disease, um, all four of their children dealing with it. Um, one of their children, especially having hard times with it, surgeries from old high school injuries that have left uh, one of the spouses almost unable to walk, job losses in the midst of it all. So they have been through it. And by the world standard and in our flesh, they wouldn't be married anymore. Either that or they would just be good roommates. But um, because of what God has done in their life, they've written a book to encourage other couples. And so so what I, I would encourage you to go on Amazon and check out that book. And then finally, Josh has written a piece, very important and really encouraging and helpful, Three Ways Christians Should Think About Racial Justice in America. And Josh, I'll leave it up to you to tell our listeners about that. Yeah, like everyone else, like the incidents we have seen, uh, the death of George Floyd, death of Ahmaud Arbery, all of uh, the protesting and rioting and violence, all of this stuff uh, has has really weighed on my heart over the last several weeks. And uh, this piece was just me uh, putting down to paper uh, several things that I know are true. Things we, I keep hearing people say, what can I do or what should I, I don't know how to think or feel. Uh, th this is not anything like a, approaching a final answer. These are just three things uh, that Christians can think about as we're thinking about the issue of racial, racial justice in our country. Absolutely. And especially for many of us who are listening as white Christians who live in America. These are some important points about why this should matter to us too. As believers, we care about justice and our God is a God of justice. So I also would encourage you to check this out. And Brent and Josh, um, that's your look at this week at ERLC.com. Hey, thanks, Lindsay. And that brings us to the culture section for the week. So Brent, uh, what are we looking at? 
Appreciate that, guys. All right. So for just a quick, informative rundown of uh, our culture. So this week, uh, the United States surpassed 2 million confirmed cases of coronavirus. Uh, That is a significant mark, and we're likely going to continue hitting more of these milestones as uh, states begin phased reopenings, and it seems like there are uh, potential spikes in cases uh, around the country. So uh, another report this week showed that there are now new coronavirus hotspots that are emerging, particularly in the South, and then again in California, which California had one of the most stringent lockdowns, and they've continued a very slow phased reopening, and they're continuing to see a spike in cases now, even as the Northeast, and in particular New York, starts to see cases uh, decline. It's, it's just a really interesting phenomenon. It shows the sporadic, capricious nature of this virus. It's so mysterious. I know we are thankful, though, that it's slowing down in New York because of how hard hit they were. And just one point regarding coronavirus that I thought was interesting from this week as well is that there have been conflicting reports about asymptomatic carriers of the coronavirus and the transmission. So you've got the WHO saying uh, that you can't really spread if you're the coronavirus if you're asymptomatic. And then you have Dr. Fauci, who I would like to adopt as my grandpa saying, no, they got that wrong, you can spread this. So there's just a lot of confusing information out there. And again, as you mentioned, Brent, a lot about this virus remains a mystery. Yeah, the the communications shop for the World Health Organization was just honestly a disaster uh, this week because they came out and said that, you know, asymptomatic transmission is not something you need to worry about. 24 hours later, completely walked that back and then said, Actually, a very substantial number of cases uh, can be uh, uh, transmitted through asymptomatic transmission. Then Dr. Fauci came out and said, no, this is something that we should have been concerned about all along. Uh, So it's just, again, it shows that this virus is something that we're still learning so much about. Well, and then real quick, if you'll remember, who let the dogs out and then they brought them back in, put them in their cages? So it's not the first time they've had a little communications mistake. There it is. Dad Come jokes on, from Brent. Lindsay Nicolay. Mom <clears throat> jokes. Come on. That's worth a laugh. No, it's mom jeans and dad jokes. <laughs> I'd like to see your mom jeans, Brent. There you go. All right. So, but there is hope. Uh, New Zealand has actually shown you are able to get free of coronavirus. So uh, the, the country announced this week that for the first time, they have had no new cases of coronavirus. As a matter of fact, it's been several weeks since then. Uh, They're continuing to keep the borders of the nation closed in the hopes that this is actually a permanent development of no new coronavirus cases in the nation. Uh, Speaking of nations, the United Nations just canceled their General Assembly in September, and it's happening for the first time in the history of the UN. Uh, As many people in our audience may know, the UN gathers uh, each fall in New York, and it's where multiple heads of state come and present reports to the the gathered United Nations. So it is a significant development that the UN will not be meeting this fall due to concerns about COVID-19. At the same time, there still continue to be these uh, church and state collisions that are happening 
within the wider context of coronavirus and the latest really stunning development happened in Nevada this week, uh, where uh, early in the week, a federal judge upheld the restrictions that are against churches right now in gathering, even while strip clubs and casinos are able to fully reopen uh, in the state. Yeah, I've got to tell you, Brent, this is absolutely maddening. Um, I think that, you know, in many cases we have seen uh, even, even the judiciary uh, be very friendly to religious liberty and, and make some key rulings that have furthered uh, the ability of churches to continue to gather and continue to worship and continue to minister uh, effectively, even in the midst of the coronavirus threat. Uh, but as we talked about in California and then now especially, the idea that churches can't be trusted to gather, but people can visit strip clubs and, and casinos and just uh, that they would be able to do those things but not worship it simply does not make any sense and any and any person uh, with a functioning conscience can recognize that not only that but we have to say that as important as some forms of uh, business and industry are uh, certainly I don't count strip clubs among those uh, probably nor would I count uh, casinos among those uh, we would say that the First Amendment exists for a reason, and that churches enjoy a constitutional protection for their right to worship. These religious organizations have to be able uh, to gather and to do these critical functions, especially if other similarly situated secular entities are able to, to go about their work as, as usual. Well, as speaking of the coronavirus and the effect that it has had on our society, so the United States, it was announced this week, officially entered our first recession since 2009, which, which was the end of the Great Recession. Uh, so we are, are back in uh, negative growth for our economy. And um, it's, it's not a development that anybody wanted, but it is a reality of kind of what we've done with our economy. So Brent, what might that look like in our individual lives? How might that affect our individual lives? Yeah, so we're already seeing it with the staggering number of unemployment uh, losses that are out there across the country. And that that may be a longer term uh, scenario than, than maybe we realize. The, the basic definition of a recession is uh, there are two back-to-back -back quarters of negative economic growth. And so the agency that generally is looked at as kind of determining when we have injured or when we have exited uh, a recession came out this week and said that they believe we are officially living in a recession currently. There are hopes that as states begin to reopen, uh, that, that maybe that will lessen some of that effect. But even Wall Street on, on Thursday of this week was seeing some very large downswings uh, when it came to uh, concerns related to coronavirus potentially coming back. And so uh, this is going to be a meandering path uh, that we take uh, in our nation's economy moving forward. This week in Texas, we also saw the memorial for George Floyd, who passed away a few weeks ago. He was, in fact, murdered, uh, and his uh, murder was caught on videotape at the hands of a policeman in Minneapolis, Minnesota. There were pastors there, including SBC pastors, who spoke to the audience uh, about the moment and uh, how we all should be collectively lamenting this, this point in our society. I feel like this is a, a time for a lot of us, including myself, to collectively listen and learn. And, and that's why we are trying to post the pieces that we are posting about racial injustice. We'll have 
later in the podcast, we talked to Jimmy McNeil, who's going to give his, us his perspective on being a black man in America. And we have, uh, we had Lemanuel Williams's piece. Uh, and so I just feel like it's our job right now to listen, learn, lament, and to stand with our brothers and sisters and fellow human beings, um, proclaiming that all people are made in God's image and therefore have inherent dignity and are worthy of respect and being treated as such. That's right. And look, this conversation is touching so many facets of our lives and, and previous areas that I don't think we had really even given much thought to. So one example of that is this week, uh, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, J.D. Greer, uh, came out and said that he is supportive of retiring the famed gavel that is named for a prominent uh, early Southern Baptist um, who also was a slave owner. And, and J.D. Greer has said he believes it is time to retire that gavel, which is used to call into session each year, the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention. That is just one way of many uh, aspects across society that this cultural moment, this cultural conversation that we are having uh, as a country is, um, is, is having an effect. Yeah, this was obviously a significant move. It would have been more significant if that gavel had actually happened or, or this decision had actually played out in person at the annual SBC meeting. But we recognize that this is a part of a larger conversation where there are there are a whole lot of questions involved in this because as we're thinking about what to do with these things that have come down to us from history and we look at not just racism being a part of America's past, but but even slavery and the legacy of slavery being a part of the past of the in the history of the Southern Baptist Convention. There's a, there's a lot of questions in terms of not just what we do with things like a gavel, which is fairly easy to dispense with, but uh, what about uh, the names of our, our schools and our buildings and, and other uh, items that commemorate the lives of founders of the Southern Baptist Convention? So there's a, you know, there, this conversation is not going to end here with this. There's going to be a lot related to this going forward, but I would encourage people to think carefully about these issues and to have a lot of grace uh, for those who may not share your opinions. You may find yourself uh, having conversations with people that ultimately persuade them uh, to, to change their viewpoint. Uh, but this is a complicated conversation that is very multifaceted, and I would encourage people to show a lot of grace and patience as we work our way through it. Speaking of opinions, uh, there was a significant development that happened this week down in Birmingham, Alabama. So a prominent pastor down there, Chris Hodges, who is the lead pastor of the Church of the Highlands, uh, which is a non-denominational church it's very prominent in Alabama, has multiple campuses throughout the state. Uh, some actions of his on social media caused Birmingham schools and the local housing authority in Birmingham to cut ties with the Church of the Highlands, which was seen as a very significant move uh, for a church that, that is trying in many ways uh, to work in the community. Yeah, Church of the Highlands is the largest church in the state of Alabama. It has over 20 campuses, and this whole story is complicated because on the one hand, you have something that is actually, I think, a model of Christ-likeness because uh, this pastor had some of his interactions on social media scrutinized, and rather than trying to protect himself or offer any words in his own defense, he came out and apologized uh, for that. He offered a statement to a public apology. He also talked to his church at a prayer gathering uh, this past Saturday morning and in his Sunday service. He spent a lot of time addressing uh, the issue of race, which is what some of those were tied to. But at the same time, uh, while I want to hold that 
that up as a model, I also want to say that this is deeply concerning to me. We have churches uh, and religious organizations that meet in public buildings like public schools all across the country. And the idea that at any given point, someone can uh, scroll through uh, a pastor's social media feed in order to find something objectionable, uh, in order to uh, then tell that school, they're no longer, tell that church they're no longer free to meet in this building or in the school uh, is deeply concerning. Because as Christians who hold to a traditional and biblical sexual ethic, uh, we know that it wouldn't take long at all for the average uh, SBC pastor or evangelical pastor, uh, for somebody looking through their social media feeds, for them to find something that they deem out of bounds. That's a helpful explanation, Josh. Uh, I'm looking forward to reading your piece on that. In the world of politics, uh, there were a few items that happened this week. So polls closed in Georgia. It was primary day down in the Peach State, and it was marked by voters waiting hours and hours to cast their ballots. In part, it was because of rules related to social distancing, but in large part, it was because they also were testing out new machines across the state. Most political analysts are hopeful that this is just a a one-time glitch in this particular state, and it's not at all something that we will see nationwide in November. But as concerns about voter integrity, potential use of machines, and then also potential for social distancing requirements to be in place in November, uh, it certainly was a concerning thing to see play out on Tuesday of this week. So while voters on Tuesday went uh, to the polls uh, throughout the country, there was a really helpful development that took place in Colorado. Pro-life supporters there were able to mount an effort against late-term abortion in the state by succeeding to get an initiative on the ballot in November to end the practice of late-term abortion. So what we are hopeful is that pro-life voters will be able to go to the polls in November and actually outlaw uh, this. Amen. Yeah, Brent, as pro-life people, we want to see and support any uh, measure that is going to lead to less abortions, especially something as gruesome and awful as late-term abortions. And so this is something that we will definitely be paying attention to. And we would love to see just a sweeping law that would just eliminate abortion in America altogether and save lives, countless unborn lives. Uh, We know that every incremental piece of legislation that we can get passed saves lives and gets one step closer to the possibility of abortion being banned in America and lives being preserved. A couple of final notes. This was an important week for our sister entity, the International Mission Board, as they virtually celebrated the sending of 61 missionaries uh, to go out across the globe. And so we are so thankful that even in the midst of coronavirus uh, and the concerns, whether it's here uh, domestically or abroad, that uh, our, our friends at the IMB are continuing to live out their mission. Brent, I'm glad you brought this up because this is something to celebrate. And it reminds me of our interview with Charles Clark from the IMB and where he said that though people are quarantined and the pandemic is hit, it has not stopped God's work and his kingdom work and his kingdom is advancing and missionaries are still sharing the gospel. And this is just uh, one tangible way that we're seeing this. You're right. And it's a it's another reminder that even in the midst of everything else that's going on around us, uh, missions organizations like the IMB, North American Mission Board, or even ourselves at the ERLC going into the public square, we're still out there 
advancing the gospel and serving the mission that Southern Baptists uh, have given us, and we are privileged uh, to do so. One final note, uh, a somebody who is very adept at sharing the gospel in this culture, Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller, he announced this week that he is dealing with pancreatic cancer, and he asked for prayers for he, his wife, and his family uh, as he deals uh, with this disease. You know, this kind of hits close to home because uh, my husband has a really good friend whose wife was also just diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Hers at stage four, uh, oftentimes it's found at stage four because it's silent in the beginning. Um, So if listeners want to pray for her too, her name is Lynette. Her husband's name is Rick. But just look forward to the day when the Lord makes all things right and there is no more cancer, no more death, no more uh, racism and injustice. It just, ugh. It just brings home the need for Casey's post even more, how to have hope in hard times. We have to be looking to Christ as our hope. Lindsay, I'm really glad you said that just because, you know, as Christians, we always, always want to bring our hearts and our minds back to the fact that Jesus is our hope and that what he promises us is a future uh, that is no longer affected by the curse. Amen. All right. So Lindsay and Josh, that's your look at This Week in Culture. Every day, we hear countless messages telling us how to think about the world around us. As the culture pulls us in different directions, it's easy to get overwhelmed and disengage completely or even begin to be influenced by the world. But how should we respond to everyday events and issues in a God-honoring way? A new book called Beautifully Distinct, Conversations with Friends on Faith, Life, and Culture, edited by Trillian Newbell, brings together 15 women to discuss films, books, and media. This book also outlines biblical principles for approaching difficult topics like body image and racism and encourages us to shape our lives around Christ. Beautifully Distinct is now available at your favorite bookstore or thegoodbook.com. That's thegoodbook.com. So now we're about to talk to one of our friends, Jimmy McNeil. Jimmy is a singer, songwriter, worship leader, and pastor at the Austin Stone uh, Church in Texas. He is someone we've been looking forward to having on the podcast for a really long time, and we're grateful to have him today. So Jimmy, as we get started, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you're serving in ministry right now, and also tell us uh, one thing that God is teaching you in this season of life and ministry? Yeah, um, I, I'd love to. As, as you said, my name is Jimmy, and and also serve, uh, just became an elder uh, at the church, so I serve as an elder there as well, and and I've been a part of Austin Stone Worship since it began. And to be honest with you, I think my wife uh, is using a vacuum right by the door right now, um, and you might be hearing it. So hey, we don't uh, hear it. Okay, it's a pandemic. Okay, well, good. Well, I am married. Uh, I have uh, five kids total. Um, three of them I've been able to hold, uh, and two of them we lost to miscarriage. And my wife loves to say that. Uh, God called them to be worshipers of Him only, mm-hmm. and and that's what mm-hmm. they are. And um, as far as what God has been teaching me, I would easily say uh, one of the best things that He's been teaching me is how powerful one's voice may be. That the voice there's power in everyone's voice. And whenever you think about your voice, when you talk, there's power in it. When you talk to people, the way that you convey something, the way that you um, share emotion, or the way that you're silent, your silence speaks volumes. And that's something that God's been teaching me because whether you're in a group of two people 
or five or 40 or 2,000 or 50,000 people, um, there is power in each person's voice. And even if it's uh, if your voice using your voice with sign language or facial expressions, there's power in that. One of the great ways I think God has just been able to bless me is being able to have some proximity uh, as a black man in a predominantly white church having proximity with people in this day and age with white people that would probably not have much proximity to um, someone of color who is in a leadership role and and as an elder at their church. Um, Because a lot of people that I know don't have that at their church. And for me to be able to have that kind of voice um, to share what God has been doing in my life and what he's wanting to teach so many right now, I think there's just power in that. So I think what God is teaching me is that there's power in my voice, even though I, no matter how small or, or big my voice may get, depending on who I'm talking to, but there's there's so much power in that and God wants to use that. Um, whether I'm talking to my mom or I'm talking to my the entire congregation that we have here at the Austin Stone. Jimmy, we are so thankful that the Lord is raising up your voice in particular. It's so important. And I tell people that I just love the things you say, the tone, the substance, your heart for the Lord and for other people comes through. And so it's a welcome voice. And listeners don't know this, but uh, we're very thankful that we're actually capturing your voice on this podcast because we've been having so many technical difficulties. <laughs> I can't, I've lost count of the number of times we tried to record this. So, so I just kind of, I think maybe it's some spiritual warfare around the conversation, but oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Again, we want to hear especially your voice on this current cultural moment. So usually we ask our guests about what in particular you're paying attention to in culture. But after the death of George Floyd and the protests and unrest our nation has experienced, this cultural moment seems to be what needs to capture our attention. So we'd love to hear from you as a Black man. How have you processed through these events? Well, Lindsay, I'll honestly say that when... The news came out about about George Floyd. It took me it took me 24 hours to even try to get myself to a place where I could watch the video and and see what took place. And I still have not watched all of the video, uh, and I, I don't think I ever will. I know for some people it's good for them to see that, uh, but but and, and good for, and good and right for them to 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 understand why so many people are as angry as they are and are lamenting like they're lamenting. Uh, for me, the lament on my end has just been, Lord, why why does this keep happening? Um, we saw, I had just gotten over and not, not gotten over, but I got to a place where, where I felt God was uh, working on my heart even more so after Brianna's death and, um, and us hearing about Ahmaud Arbery and his death and, and all these things. And then you, you add George Floyd to that all within this t- entire pandemic time frame. And it is something that uh, has rocked our nation and um, shook African-Americans, uh, Black people uh, specifically, whether, whether you're tinted with this Black skin because you're biracial or whether you're fully Black. Uh, it, has, it, has, it is excruciating. And for me to process these things, I know for me it was traumatic to even watch the few minutes that I watched on a news feed uh, of what took place. And what I have done is made myself, I think, uh, being vocal and, and vulnerable about how I felt about Ahmad and me riding uh, a, a new bike uh, that I started riding, a new hobby I have of riding around town and riding on a bike. And um, and I know for a fact that before that happened with Ahmad, me and my wife had a, a long, good conversation about me being black on a bike and riding around town. Um, and it's conversations that 
any black man would have uh, with their wife, um, uh, whether they're running or riding a bike. And after like walking through those things and, and talking to that and, and, and being at this place where I'm now and then seeing what took place with George, my voice, I just, I just wanted to just tell people what it was like to live like a, like a black man in America. So the way that I've been processing these things have been one with my wife for sure and the inner circle that I have, but then God's just made me and pushed me towards um, inviting others into the conversation. People that I wouldn't typically invite into the conversation, such as folks on social media and um, just other outlets that God has blessed me with the opportunity to have an influence. And I've been able to just vulnerably process with other people and process with them as well. And and that's been good for my soul. Um, I'm a verbal processor uh, and it's good for me to just verbally get those things out. Um, so that's how I've been processing through these things and um, and how the, the lament that, 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 that came from the death of George Floyd. That lament is real, it's honest, it's raw, because I saw myself when I saw that video. I saw, my, I saw cousins of mine. Um, uh, it, could, it doesn't matter if it was a, a distant cousin or a grandfather or, um, or even a, a grandmother or my, my grandmother or whoever. Like, I, just, I just saw us as he was shouting that he couldn't breathe or whispering that he couldn't breathe because he couldn't even speak well. Um, because his airway was being cut off. So, so I, I think I'm still processing um, what, what took place a few weeks ago now. So, Jimmy, thank you for uh, just walking us through how you're processing this and, and allowing us to, to share that depth of uh, lament uh, and how this is affecting you and honestly how it should be affecting all of us. Uh, so I appreciate you, brother, uh, sharing yeah. that. Sure. As as you've been uh, helping to lead your church, you you have called your church to a month long season of fasting and praying uh, for the black community and for unity within the church. My, my own pastor uh, here in Nashville has called our congregation uh, to the same. So I, I'm interested from from your perspective. Tell us more about why you're making that call and uh, why you think it is important. Uh, from lasting change. Yeah. I'll tell you this. The reason I think it's important for lasting change is because God is the one who changes hearts. And I think heart change needs to take place in order for anything to change. And in my mind, I think, man, why not? Why not before you take a step towards anything? Why not get on your knees and bow to the great God Almighty and ask him, God, what do you want me to do? What is it that you want me to do? Lord, do you want me to lament right now? I want to lament and lament well. Lord, do you want me to do as Romans 12 tell me, to mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep? Lord, I want to do that well. And after that, Lord, I'm going to get on my knees again and ask you, what do you want me to do? It's a continual thing that continues to take place where we get on our knees and ask God, Lord, we want you to come back. We do. But Lord, as we're here, as we're waiting for your return, show us the steps. And I think the reason that came to my mind, because it was a, it was a Wednesday, uh, the Wednesday, Tuesday uh, was when everybody found out about everything. Wednesday, I was actually leading worship, recording our service that next day. And, and we changed everything with the, the front part of our set list. And, and I wanted to make sure I said something to our congregation and I spoke um, to our congregation and honestly just help them walk through lamenting and not just lamenting with a lot of sadness and, and pain and grief. But getting to a place where we could lament with joy, because the, the, the difference between a Christ follower who laments and a non-believer who laments is that the Christ follower can lament with some joy, knowing that it will, it will not always be this way. 
because Jesus is going to come back. But the lament comes with, with us saying, Lord, but nothing's changed yet. This is not, we're not in heaven yet. And Lord, we need change. And I just was calling our church to, to lament with us through worship. And, and as I did that, I had fasted and prayed that whole day and invited, invited others to fast and pray with me. And a friend of mine uh, basically asked me that afternoon before I went to go record. She just said, hey, did you read the quote, the John O quote that I sent you um, from his book about prayer? And I went back and I, and I looked at it and, and I remembered reading it. And uh, the quote just simply talked about him speaking about a friend of his uh, that was just telling her church, you know, I don't want y'all to just like hang a Black Lives Matter flag on the steeple. I'm not asking you to do that. But what I'm asking you to do is for us to just pray corporately. Can we pray? And, and John O goes on in his book to say that uh, diversity is more about priorities than programs. And he's talking about diversity in this part. And he says, a church prays for what it prioritizes. And as I looked around Instagram and Facebook and all these different social media areas, I just didn't see that many people calling people to pray and calling people to fast and pray. And I said, Lord, with the small voice that I have, I'm going to use my voice and I'm going to invite people to fast and to pray because they need to. We need to be asking you, God, what we ought to be doing as we're walking towards change, as we're moving towards listening and learning. God, we need to be on our knees begging you to be the one, the main voice, the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Lord, would you speak to us in a clear way and tell us as a church, tell us as Christ followers, tell us as born again believers what you want us to hear and what you want us to do as we're spending time in your word. And as I fasted and prayed, uh, my friend just was just like, hey, it doesn't need to be just one day. Uh, it needs to be more than that. You need to ask people to fast for seven days, whatever. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be crazy. I'm an Enneagram 7. I do crazy things every once in a while. Let's do it all summer long. We're going to fast once a week all summer long, and I'm going to invite everybody to do it. And the reason I said all summer long is because so often, even for me also, the news feeds come up and it's big news for three or four weeks. And then five, on week five and six, people have forgotten. They've forgotten about what took place literally a month and a half ago until something else happens. And for me, I just said, Lord, I want this to be on the forefront of people's minds. I want it to be a priority. Um, so, Lord, would you make it a priority? And I just believe that this is one of the ways, one of the small ways, tangible ways that it can become a priority for people is fasting and praying. Um, so that's why I'm calling people to do it. And I'm posting every Tuesday throughout the summer and encouraging folks with different prayer points. And we're walking through Romans 12, which that letter in general is something that I just I just see as something that I, that that church is that part of the letter is something that churches and Christ followers need to try to embody and actually praying and repent for how we're not doing those things. So if you're a believer listening to this or a non-believer, I want you to grab a Bible, go read Romans 12 and ask yourself, am I living this out? And ask yourself, like, is the church living this out? And if not, if you see that to be true in your life or your church's life, man, call on your people, call on yourself to actually start trying to live these verses out and do what, what Paul is telling that, that church in Rome to do. Um, uh, that, that, that's my encouragement. And I, I, get, I get a little uh, like happy about this, y'all, it's, and I, I get fired up about this stuff because I know for a fact that God wants us to be people praying, especially people praying scripture praying verses and um, and part of that letter uh, that Paul wrote in Romans 12. So so yeah, that, that, I'll shut up now and uh, and go on to the next question because I go, I can talk about that for about 15 minutes myself. Uh, so Jimmy, that, that's a strong recommendation that we uh, try and read up on John Onwachuka. And uh, you're right. You had said in a previous time when we were having uh, technical difficulties, we need to get John O 
uh, on the podcast. You're absolutely right. We need to make that happen. Right. Yeah, man. Y'all need to make that happen as soon as possible, man. I love that brother, man. Um, He's such a wise man. I love him so much. That's great, Jimmy. And it's such a good and convicting exhortation because I feel like the call to fasting and prayer, it's convicting for me, especially in our social media age. We are obsessed with the practical, you know, quote unquote practical. We want to, we want to get involved in the practical steps. We want to see things changing right away or the policy. And those things are important. But like you said, nothing is going to change at the heart level. Nothing's going to be lasting unless the Lord does the work and the Lord's the one who moves the mountains, you know? So yes, he is. Why not ask very him? Thankful why not for, ask him to move them? Yeah, you know? why not? And he invites us to do that. It's so true. So Jimmy, in addition to all the other hats you wear, you are an incredibly talented worship leader. I think I even heard at one point there was some talk of a record deal early on or something like that. <laughs> and you can tell us more about that. But we have had the privilege uh, at the ERLC of sitting under your um, leadership through worship through music. And it's awesome. And you are so gifted. And have you always had a passion for music? Actually, I... I have seen your Instagram videos when you've been at home and your family has been singing and I love it. I've shown them to my husband. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Um, so how did you develop that passion for music and what has it been like to see God use a gift like that for his glory? Yeah, I would say uh, it all came from God himself for sure. Um, and he used my family and our heritage to to just give birth to even more so of my my longing and my want to um, to do music and to share music and to be a part of all different kinds of music. I'm not just someone who loves uh, the world I'm in now, which is, I would say, kind of the CCM, contemporary worship or uh, gospel-ish or gospel kind of feel like uh, of worship. But but I, I love all kinds of music. I like country music. I like jazz. Uh, and and my, my grandparents and my parents, they all listen to different kinds of music. And and that passion has always been there and that, that want to... Uh, to learn from others like Beethoven and all these different like classical artists and uh, so many different people that I've just grown from and learned from just different parts of music. But you're, you're listening to and like talking to a brother who basically had the dream of being an R&B artist and uh, wanting to influence people kind of similar to the way that Lecrae is influence, influencing behind the scenes, the hip hop world, um, and, and, and trying to fighting to point people to Jesus behind the scenes. Um, I, that's what, that was one of my dreams of being an R&B artist that would sit down with people like Kanye West and, and other folks and, and share the gospel with them and ask them why, why they're thanking, what God are they thanking when they say, I thank God for this, you know? And, um, but God took that, that passion and and he and he took me away from R and B and sat me into this like predominantly white congregation uh, singing songs that are are predominantly led by people that are not of color in a way. And he has brought me to a place of of just saying, "This is where I want you to be. This is where I'm calling you, and I want you to flourish here." So for me, when it comes to where I'm at with music, I am content with God having me at my church at the specific congregation I'm leading at. Uh, where I am a minority and God is using me as a minority to influence so many people that don't look like me or talk like me or come from my background. And I love it. And this next album that I'm working on, my first album, I uh, was mainly for the church. This next one is, is still for the church, but not necessarily in a contemporary or worship setting. But it's more of a, hey, y'all can just listen to this and enjoy where my roots come from. And you mentioned, Lindsay, the me having family all around. And I got to capture that uh, two years ago. Uh, I wanted to capture it before uh, my grandparents passed away. 
and they're still alive today, but we captured my family singing in the living room and, and I got to interview my grandparents and, and it was our family just singing together. My hope is that in this next album, which is still the plan, unless things change, is to have little spurts of that inside uh, this album where you move to diff- through different tracks and you'll hear me and my family just singing together. And, and, uh, and my hope is that the album will be called Roots. And, um, and I think God's going to use that to not only bring some racial reconciliation, uh, which I think this could easily do. Um, but he's also could just, I think he's going to use it to both blow my mind because I'm going to pray for some crazy stuff to happen. But I, I think he's going to use it um, to really just point people back to himself uh, and the folks of many different cultures and backgrounds um, to be open to not just being trapped in their bubble of what kind of music they like or listen to, but just to be open to, to, to enjoy all kinds of music and see God in everything um, when it comes to music that is pointing to him, if that makes sense. So yeah, that album sounds awesome. I'm excited about it. All right, Jimmy. So for this last question, we know uh, we know that uh, you're going to be recording, obviously. But as we head into these summer months uh, and maybe, if it's possible, a, a break from kind of quarantine life, are, are there any fun things uh, that you are looking forward to doing with your family in the next few months? Yeah, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to not talking to anybody with my family. <laughs> Uh, for the next few months, man, I've had a whole lot of conversations and a uh, a lot of just different things uh, because God's God's using my voice and and I am I am all for it. Uh, but I'm I am looking forward to just being where I, we're actually going to a place. A family was so kind to offer a, a place that a ranch that they have um, out in the country out here in Texas that my family could go to and enjoy. And we're going there next week, actually, and we're going to be there for seven days and. I'm going to go there by myself with me and my son. He's five. We're going to go there for two days by ourselves and have some father-son time, which I'm pumped about. Uh, we might go fishing and do some cool stuff and uh, just enjoy time together. But then um, then my family's going to come, and then we'll have some friends come as well. But I'm so looking forward to just vacation. Oh, man. I'm As an Enneagram 7, when you ain't got to think about work and you ain't got to do anything except have fun, Oh, that is my, that's my jam. Um, and I'm, I'm so looking forward to doing puzzles because I'm a puzzle guy as well. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing some puzzles, playing some games and just making my son have some incredible memories. Cause I think for all of us, our memories, we start to remember stuff when we're four or five years old. And I just want him to have some really good memories of me and him and just the time that, that me and him got to have at this young age. I want those to be some of his fondest memories. So I'm looking forward to that. And then we have another vacation thing we're doing uh, by the ocean uh, at some point. We're going to go for just a couple of days and because I'm not doing any camps this summer, y'all. Uh, all the camps got canceled, you know, so that's I'm right. Like, all right. <laughs> I guess we got to figure something out, fam. You know, me and my uh-huh. wife, we, we're just trying to trying to do some fun stuff and uh, especially do it with the kids. So, man, Jimmy, well, that is that is so good. And we just want to say how grateful we are that you took the time to talk to us today. Uh, there was so much good stuff in there. I want to say at the end, like, I really feel you on the puzzles, man. It's one of my favorite things to do with my family. It's a great way to, like, engage people and, and spend it's time so together. Good, uh, there was so much good stuff in this conversation. Uh uh, we'll let people know. I'm not sure which parts of the, you know, wh- you know, what of the good stuff made it into this final cut, but we'll just tell people it was the very best version uh, that they got right <laughs> here at the end. So thank you so much for making the time to yeah, talk to man, us today. Most definitely. Love you guys so much, man. Thank y'all for having me. 
So now it's time for the lunchroom, where every week we tell you about the things we've been talking about with one another. I'll go first this week, and on my mind is the fact that my daughter turned three years old this week, and we had a precious little family party for her. It was really, really great. But the, um, you know, it was just just my family sitting around the dinner table with some balloons. But the uh, special thing about it, my wife made her her birthday cake, and she found something which is the most uh, delectable thing on the planet, which is called rainbow chip icing. And if you've never had rainbow chip icing, this is not funfetti. This is like rainbow chips in the icing. It is maybe the best thing I've ever had. And, you know, it's the kind of thing that you could just keep in your refrigerator and eat out of the can. So anyway, my thing for the week this week, uh, happy birthday, Ellie, and rainbow chip icing for the win. Hey, wait, did you say you just discovered rainbow chip icing, Josh? Actually, just rediscovered it. I used to be a huge fan, have not had it in many years, oh, and it is now, it's, it's now back in my life. Nice. We used to dip Teddy Grahams in rainbow chip icing and or chocolate icing when I was in college. Mm, that's some good stuff. So for my lunchroom segment, I have several things. One serious, which is if you haven't read Shy Lynn's piece on the Gospel Coalition, it is so good. He he is a rapper, a father, an author, and he's married to Blair Lynn. And he just um, shares an article, which he originally wrote as a letter to a, a white sister who had asked him how he was doing. Um, and he just shared honestly with her. And so it was good to see his perspective, heartbreaking to read his perspective. I know many more have shared theirs, but I would really encourage listeners to take a look at that. Okay. Another silly thing is that I have found myself reading, I mean, not reading, watching apocalyptic movies on Netflix. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I watched Deep Impact with Taya Leone and cheesy end of the world movie, but also made me cry. It was crazy. And then I moved on to the next and I watched 2012 with John Cusack. Have y'all watched that? Oh yeah. I also watched a couple shark attack movies, which I don't know why. And then the final thing I want to say for my lunchroom segment is that landscaping and taking care of your yard post fall is just a really discouraging slash fun thing. We chopped our tree off. It's called tree topping. And I don't recommend that people do it because we have been having such a time with our tree in our yard since then. Anyway, that's it. That's the things I've been thinking about. Isn't that what you do with your Christmas tree? Like when you put the angel on top? Like tree topping? Isn't that actually called a tree topper? Well, maybe we'll put angels on top of our tree, little tree buds this Christmas. (laughs) Oh, I've never heard of tree topping. It reminds me of that scene in the West Wing where they talk about leaf peeping. That's right. That's right. Man, gosh, Josh, you're always so good about working in the West Wing here for our audience, and they do need to get over to the West Wing while uh, there's still an opportunity to watch it on on Netflix. All right. So my thing that I wanted to, to share is a decades-long hunt for a treasure chest in the Rocky Mountains. And this was all spurred on because a, a well-known art dealer, Forrest Finn, uh, he told about the possible location of this buried treasure in an autobiography that he came out with called The Thrill of the Chase. People have actually died looking for this buried treasure. Well, somebody actually found it, and they apparently, he confirmed this week, they apparently discovered a treasure chest containing $1 million worth of gold and jewels that Forrest Finn had buried in some remote location in the Rocky Mountains. 
Oh gosh, Brent, I'm so glad you brought that up though, because the thing that for me, you know, like when you're a kid, you spend so much time hearing about buried treasure and then you become an adult and buried treasure is nowhere on your radar and, and you've never found any. And honestly, you just kind of wonder if it exists out there. It's uh, like, it's kind of like quicksand, you know, when you're a kid or when we were kids, they would tell us all the time, quicksand was like this thing that we'd be afraid of. It was be like every show and cartoon or whatever. And when have you ever encountered quicksand or, or was it really a problem? So anyway, props to, you know, this guy and the discovery of this treasure that That is really awesome. Let's leave an ERLC podcast time capsule for our friends to find in the future. They won't get a million dollars, but we can put something of value in there. Sure. We'll just put some West Wing memorabilia. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. Just as a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about in the podcast in the show notes. And if you'd like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your podcast app and leaving us a rating or a brief review. Uh, But for Lindsay, Brent, and myself, we just want to say thanks for listening and we'll be back next week with more content. Mm